Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text is going to be taken from the reading we heard uh, from the prophet Isaiah. You may be seated. And we begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, what a great blessing you have bestowed upon us, this gift of prayer, where we are able to come before you and ask for your will to be done in our lives. Lord, we pray today that you would make us bold in prayer and confident in the promises that you make. And to this end, we pray that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine with me, if you will, a scenario where you are invited to the North Pole by old Santa Claus himself. And he brings you to his workshop. And as he invites you into his workshop, he sits you down in a very comfortable Santa Claus kind of chair, and he gives you a nice big cup of hot cocoa, and he looks at you and he pulls out the naughty list, and he pulls out the nice list, and he crumples them both up, and he throws them in the corner. And then he looks at you and he says, Listen, I want to give you a gift this Christmas. And I want you to ask me for anything. We are in the magic workshop right now. I can give you anything and everything that you possibly want. It is my joy and my delight to give you the best Christmas ever. So ask me for anything. It is yours. What do you want? And you sit there and you look at Santa... And you say, you know, Santa, I don't think I've been that good this year. I don't deserve anything. You can give me a lump of coal in my stocking, and I just thank you for the experience. You would sound so humble, and so pious, and so moronic. Because why would you do that? You've been given anything by this Santa who actually has the ability to give it to you, and you're refusing the gift. This would be problematic for like two reasons among many reasons. First, you say, I've been too naughty. I don't deserve anything this year. Santa knows. He's got the list. He balled it up and he threw it in the corner. He doesn't want to deal with you according to what you've done. He just wants to give you the gift graciously. His love language, after all, is gift giving. And he wants to show you that he loves you. You wouldn't merely be rejecting a great gift in some sort of false humility. You would be rejecting the love of this guy who wants to give you something. Second, your pious no is an attempt to make you look holier than old Saint Nick himself. And here's the problem. He's a saint, you see. So you can't do that. You'd be shaming him by saying that you don't trust his ability to give you the gift. You don't think you deserve it. You don't trust him to do what he says. You're not taking his offer seriously. Obviously, this is not going to happen uh, this year. And yet, I sometimes wonder if that scenario isn't kind of how we approach prayer. Because when it comes to prayer, God comes to us and he tells us to pray big prayers. He doesn't invite us to pray measly little prayers for things like more money or a new car or something cheap and foolish like this. No, he invites us to to pray for the greatest things of all. The things he lists for us, you might think, in the Lord's Prayer. He, pray, he tells us to ask that his name would be hallowed in our lives, that we would receive his kingdom, that he would forgive all of our sins, and that he would conquer Satan, not to mention give us daily bread. And Jesus comes to us and says, listen, God comes to you and says, seek, ask, and knock, and he will give it to you. 
Seek for his kingdom first. And understand that that's why I came, says Jesus, to give you that kingdom as a gracious gift to invite you into my eternal presence forever. So seek that and you will find it. Ask for your sins to be forgiven, Jesus says. This is why I came to die on the cross for you, to shed my blood, to wash you clean. So ask for the forgiveness of your sins and it's yours. Knock on the door when Satan is attacking you and your temptations are rising and pray for God to protect you from the evil one and to deliver you from your temptation. And understand, says Jesus, that I have conquered Satan on your behalf. Seek first the kingdom of God and I'll throw in daily bread to boot. I'll give you all of it as a gift. You see, God, it's not just his love language. God, by his very nature, is the giver of gifts what he does creation is a gift that god has given to us it's a gift god has given to you to work in, to to play in to delight in to enjoy the forgiveness of your sins salvation is a gift that you have not earned by your own works but which christ purchased for you with his own blood and gives to you by grace alone even the holy spirit himself is a gift given to you by God to grant you faith and to sustain you into life everlasting. And God, the Holy Spirit, has come to you to give you the gift of Jesus and all of his benefits. So that in all of this, when God comes to you and says, all this I give to you, all of me, God says, I give to you. Such promises and gifts should make us bold in prayer, knowing that God delights to give us good things. We don't need to be afraid to ask. What's more, it would be foolish if we didn't ask. It would be the height of audacity to look at God's promise to hear your prayers and say, you know, God, I'm not worthy of such gifts. I don't trust you to give them to me. So I must work hard to earn them myself. I must become deserving of your gifts before you give them to me. I will trust something that I do to receive such things I will do things my own way. Not only would be, this be audacious and insulting to God, it would be a sign of unbelief. Telling God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to be gracious. I don't trust you to be good. I believe you to be exacting and untrustworthy. You aren't able to do what you say, and I must do things myself to see your promises through. You would be sinfully refusing the gift and refusing to pray such prayers. We actually have an example of what this looks like in history as we look back on our reading from the prophet Isaiah today at a time when, when a king of Israel acted in such faithless ways. We read today about King Ahaz. Now, we're going to do our Old Testament history lesson here, so buckle up, here comes the fun part of the sermon. But Ahaz is the king in Jerusalem at the time. He is the king of Judah. Now you will remember that at this point in the history of Israel, the nation has been split in half. You have two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is where Jerusalem is. The southern kingdom is referred to as Judah. The northern kingdom is referred to as Israel. Now Ahaz is the king in the southern kingdom. And Ahaz has a problem. His problem is the northern kingdom. They have made an alliance with a nation called Syria. And the northern kingdom and Syria are aligning against another nation called Assyria. Are you, are you writing this down? This is, there's going to be a... Here we go, okay? 
So Syria, northern kingdom, trying to fight Assyria, who is like uh, the biggest, most terrifying nation on the planet at the time. Assyria, if you read, if, if you, if you read about the torture uh, um, practices of Assyria, you need to be reading something else. It's terrifying, the things these people would do. They make our modern-day terrorists look like uh, children. They're just, they're just terrifying. Run by a king named Tiglath Pilzer III. That will also be on the test. Uh, so what's going on here is Syria and Israel want to fight against Assyria, but in order to do this, they need to take the southern kingdom in to protect themselves. So they're aligning against Ahaz in the southern kingdom to take it over. Now Ahaz knows that he's not strong enough to beat these two nations. So what is he going to do? He comes up with a great plan. I will appeal to Tiglath-Pilzer III and Assyria. I'll appeal to those guys so they can come and protect me. They can come and help me because nobody can conquer them and I'll get them in my favor and everything will go well. Except that it wouldn't. You don't just make an alliance with Assyria. Assyria takes you over. You want to enter into an alliance with them. What that means for you is that you will then be indebted to them, which means you will be enslaved by them. So uh, Ahaz is being tempted to bring his people into slavery to protect himself, to conquer the northern nation. Now, into this conundrum that Ahaz finds himself in, God sends his prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah shows up with a promise. Isaiah shows up with a gift. Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, listen, your God wants to help you. And you, in a sense, you might say, Ahaz, remember the promises that God has made to Jerusalem. Remember the promises that God has made to his people. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God has promised that to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he will bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. This nation, these two nations want to curse you. So God will fight for you and he will go against them on your behalf. Further, this is the same God who also told you, do not trust other nations. Don't put your trust in horses and chariots and other nations. Trust me, I love you, I will protect you, I will provide for you. Third, this is the God Ahaz who has promised King David that he will always have one of his kings on the throne. You're one of the descendants of David. God has this throne for you, so he will fight to protect you. So Isaiah comes to, to Ahaz with all of these promises in his back pocket. And he basically says to him this. Now God just wants you to ask for it. God's here for you. Don't trust Assyria. Trust God. He wants to show you that he is for you. So Isaiah says, pray. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God, and let it be a big prayer, as deep as Sheol, that is the place of the dead, and as high as heaven. This is the old God is saying to Ahaz, I am your God, and you are the king of my chosen people in the chosen city that I love. I am for you in this. I want to give myself to you. Just ask me. Ask me to prove it. I want to show you. And Ahaz, that wicked king who worshipped false gods and envied Assyria's power, refused the gift. And he sounded so pious and holy in doing. I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. You foolish king, Ahaz. This was not a test from God. It was a gift. 
It was a promise, an act of love from the God whose nature it is to give good gifts and keep His promises. God was promising to save Israel from their enemies. He was promising to deliver them from evil, and He refused the gift. He trusted His own plans, His own schemes, His own ability to negotiate with the terrorist nation of Assyria. And so, in ironically, in saying, I will not put the Lord my God to the test, He is actually testing God. What is worse, says Isaiah, you are making God weary with all of your fake holiness. Now, this will not stop God from saving his people. This will not stop God from carrying out his purposes. It's just that Ahaz won't see the benefits of it. This is what God says uh, through his prophet to Ahaz. Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey. And when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. God will defeat Syria and uh, the northern kingdom. The Lord will bring you, and the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In other words, because you refuse my uh, blessing, because you refuse my gifts, because you turn your back on the promises I make to you, you won't receive them. You'll get what you don't ask for. Uh, or you will get what you... Uh, never mind. Uh, you're not going to get what I'm promising because you reject the gift. God comes to Ahaz and says, I want to give you my protection. I want to give you my services. I want to give you my very self and you refuse it. Therefore, I will accomplish my purposes. I will fulfill my promise and I will curse those who curse you. But you will not receive any benefit from this because you have rejected the gift. So now you have nothing to look forward to but the fear and terror of the Assyrian people. You will not know peace in your reign. And yet in this promise to Ahaz, this not-so-nice promise to Ahaz, there is yet a word of hope. That God says to Ahaz, I'm not going to let your unbelief stop me from carrying out my purposes of salvation. And long on down the road, I will send an even greater Savior than you can possibly imagine. One who will be born of a virgin. A king who will come. God who is with you, Emmanuel. A king who will come and who will not do what Ahaz did. Who will not refuse my word. Who will not disobey my promises. Who will work for my people and not for political aspirations. And he will bring salvation not merely from the the weak little Assyrian, but from sin, death, and the devil himself. God promises a Savior. Now what can we learn from this text today? What can we learn from the sins of Ahab? What we can learn is this. That when God invites you to pray, he is not joking. He is not joking when he sends you his gift. Martin Luther, in the small catechism, when he talks about how it is that we pray, when we pray something like, uh, thy kingdom come, 
he says this. He says, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we must understand that the kingdom will come whether we pray for it or not. God's going to accomplish his purposes whether we pray for them or not. But we pray in this prayer that that kingdom would come to us also. When God invites you to pray, he's saying, I'm doing incredible things in this world, giving gifts and and creating joy and hope and life. And in prayer, you're asking me to give it to you as well. And I will. This week we're going to hear about someone who's the anti-Ahab. We'll hear about Mary, who is a good model of prayer, who is a good model of faith. Who when she hears the promises of God, she says, let it be done to me as the Lord will. And she, a virgin, becomes pregnant with the Savior Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The very king who comes to do for his people the things that Ahaz refused to do. He brings to us the great gifts and promises of heaven. His will is done for you as his kingdom comes and you receive the salvation he has prepared for you for all of eternity. He comes to you even daily to give you the bread that you need, the forgiveness of all of your sins, to protect you from and to overwhelm and destroy sin, death, and the devil. All of this Jesus has done. He's accomplished it according to his will. And he's promised that he's done it for you as well. He holds nothing back. All of this is yours. He just says, ask. You don't think he's going to do this for you? Well, just ask him. Watch him accomplish his purposes in your life. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you hear our prayers. We pray, O Lord, that you would not make us like Ahaz, who refused the gift, but teach us, Lord, to trust in you always, to turn to you in our time of need, and to receive the blessings that you have promised. All this we ask that we would do through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, 